Thank you, and uh, thank you for your welcome. I've never been welcomed because of my allegiance to a football team. <laughs> but I've been down here for 35 years. I'm trying to polish my vowels so that you'll understand what I'm saying. But it's, uh, it's tremendous to be with you, even though, even though last night did happen. <laughs> well, we've already referred to the fact that it's a new book that we're studying uh, here on, on Sunday mornings, the book of Joshua. We've referred to the fact that it's a new term, first uh, weekend of September, school starting, maybe back to work. Uh, maybe you've uh, had a holiday and you're, you're waiting for the, the weather to turn. We've referred to that already. But new things, new seasons, new opportunities. And uh, that's exactly what we got. Not just because we're starting Joshua chapter 1, but because what Joshua, the book of Joshua, is all about. Thank you for reading so well. Moses is dead. The great leader of the Israelites, he's been leader for 40 odd years. He's taken the people of Israel out of Egypt, uh, through the Red Sea. Uh, Matt, you obviously read the passage already as well because he fed them with uh, manna and he fed them with water from the rock. Um, he gave them the law so that they knew how to worship God and how they should live. And now after 40 years they're on the edge of the promised land but the leader dies. The leader dies. He was deeply respected. You know, they've mourned for him 30 days, it tells us. 30 days of mourning for this, this leader who had taken them through the ups and the downs. And they hadn't always given them the respect that they do. But deep down, they respected him. And as someone once said, God buries his workmen, but the work goes on. And that's what we read in, in Joshua. It's a new start with a new leader, but it's the old work just carrying on. You probably know, I'm, I'm sure many of you know the story of, of uh, the Israelites going through the desert. You know, it could have taken them only 11 days to get from Egypt, to get to the promised land, this area around the Jordan River, but it took them 40 Yes. How come? Well, how come those of you will know is because they didn't trust God. They just didn't believe in God. They sinned so badly that God ensured that a generation had to die before the next generation went into the promised land. Only two people, Joshua and Caleb, who left Egypt, actually got into the promised land. You can imagine it, can't you? You hear about this promised land full of, of enemies and obstacles and challenges and problems. The generation that have come out of Egypt have all died. The leader has, is dead. You can imagine the people of God thinking of going into this promised land a bit fearful, a bit apprehensive of what's going to be ahead. And onto the scene comes Joshua, except he's been on the scene for quite a long time. He's actually probably in his 80s. And he's got a new job, new responsibilities to lead the people. He's already been a good fighter fighting the Amalekites. He's already been with Moses when Moses collected the, the Ten Commandments. He didn't go up the mountain, he stayed at the bottom. He's already been one of the spies that went into the promised land to check it out and said, hey, it's tough. But with God, we can do it. But he, he wasn't believed. And so he was chosen. He's chosen as a successor to Moses 
to go in. I always like giving some homework. So if you've got one, some homework, read the last four chapters of Deuteronomy, the book just before Joshua, which again gives you this scene very carefully. But we find that Joshua, he's a man of courage. He's a man of loyalty. He's a man of faith. He's a man that you can depend upon. He's a man of wisdom. He's just the person for the job to take these Israelites in. And so as we've read in chapter 1, he receives his commission. His commission is to get going, to move forward, to stop wandering and make some progress into the promised land. You can imagine having Moses as the previous leader. That would be a bit tough. It's a big thing to live up to. And in fact, Moses' name was mentioned in the passage at least six times. It was meant to be an encouragement, but you can imagine Joshua himself is thinking, well, okay, I've got all these leadership qualities, but following Moses, taking these people into the, as it were, unknown. And so as we, we read, he hears from God directly. He hears directly from God as to what he's to do, how he's to act, what he's to do now. And the message is not just for him, but it's also for all the people. Now what we do with our Bibles is we read the stories, and you may be interested in history or you, you may not be. But we see in some of the stories of the Bible aspects of the Christian journey, the Christian life, which we can apply to. And I think that's very, very clear in this uh, passage that we can say just as God's people were moving into the promised land, so we too are, are moving, moving through lives, moving into all that God has for us. And we want to have a look at those, par those parallels uh, today. History though, of God's people was one of gigantic problems here in Israel. Struggles, just to gain small victories, the need to live by faith and not to live by what they could see in front of them. And it's just those things that uh, is, is true for our Christian lives today. They learned, and using the very words that Matt used, they learned that God was for them. That he was with them. That in the face of overwhelming circumstances, he could be relied upon. And we too today also. No matter what we're facing, and I, I see a lot of experience out here, a lot of life experience out here, no matter what we're facing, the promise of God is that he's for us and that he's with us, no matter what that circumstance might be. And we find as you'll go through Joshua, they make progress just little by little. They don't all do it in a day. They make progress little by little, and that's true of my Christian life. I don't know about yours. It's good just to see small progress. Because it's not necessarily, life isn't necessarily easy in that way. I just want us to think about four things which might come up here. Uh, is that working? No, if you could just move it on, just one. Thank you there. Just this thought, just four simple thoughts. That what uh, Joshua was encouraged to do was to enter into all that God had provided. In that verse 2 we read, arise, that command, arise, cross over River, river Jordan. And enter the land which God is giving to you. The land. The land. It was given by God. It was a fulfillment to Abraham 
unto Isaac, unto Jacob, unto Moses. God had promised them this land, and they were getting closer to it, but they hadn't got in there yet. It was a large area, and we were given the dimensions in what we read. It was, it was towards Lebanon in the north, and it was towards the desert of Egypt in the, in the south. It was right across uh, from the east, uh, yes, east, I always get it mixed up, uh, to the Hittite and the river Euphrates, and on to the west, it was the Mediterranean Sea. So it was, a, it was a large land, it was a good land. It was so good. It was so good. It was described as being full of hills and valleys, and uh, they, they drank in the rain. It was a fertile area. There were deep springs, it was full of fruit. It was flowing with milk and honey, was the description. I'm sure you've heard that description before. And it was compared to Egypt. Egypt, it was really difficult to grow anything. The Israelites knew it. And they were swapping that desert of Egypt, as it were, for this beautiful, beautiful land. But it wasn't just a nice place. This was to be their home, their lasting home, where they would find rest, where they could sit under their vine or sit under their olive tree and not be afraid for security and peace and prosperity. This promised land spoke everything to the, these children of Israel. This is where God wanted them to be. <coughs> to possess it. No more wandering. To enjoy it. Not merely just getting by, but enjoyment. And to share it with each other. And what the promise was that if they walked on it, in this area they could claim it. This was God's assurance. They'd been so close to it. They'd wandered around it. They'd wandered beside it. The time was now. Time was now. Many people think that the promised land is, is heaven for the Christian. And I want to suggest it, it, it's not quite that. It's, it's, it's more than that. You see, when they talked about the promised land here, there were battles ahead. There was obstacles to overcome. When we get to heaven, it's a place of perfect peace and rest, and the enemy has been completely defeated. In the promised land, it was possible for the, the, the children of Israel not to ex enjoy the promised land. They could actually be driven out from it if they disobeyed. Just as James, I, I feel as if all my sermon has all been preached by James and, and, and Matt. Just as James said, heaven is for sure. It's for certain. There's no chance of us being driven out if we, are, if we belong to heaven. I think the promised land represents everything that we, as God's people, uh, can enjoy if only we'll enter into it. It's, it's for now, as well as for the life of heaven. The fullness of all that God's got for us, that he's given for us, uh, to him as his people. And the danger is, as God's people, is we can wander around and miss out on what God has for us to enjoy. Paul, when he wrote to the, the, the church in Ephesus, said this, that you're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want us to stop and consider. And you know, the very three things I've written down here about our blessings are the very three things that James uh, mentioned earlier, and I just can't quite believe it. I want us to think about three things, and the first is forgiveness. The blessing of forgiveness, that our sin has been dealt with, that our, the burden has been lifted, that the, the debt has been paid, that the stain has been removed of sin, 
that the charge has not been put to our account, but our sins have been forgiven. If you're one of God's people, know for sure that the Lord Jesus, as we sang by his death on the cross, has forgiven us our sins. And we need to enter into the good of that and not live lives as if we're not forgiven or feelings as if God is holding something against us. If we belong to him and we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, he's forgiven us of all of our sins. And if we go around with miserable faces and not victorious Christian lives, if we think we've still got to do something with our sin, we don't. He's paid it all. The second thing that James mentioned is also down here. He's given us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, as God's people, lives within us, indwells us to, to guide us and to comfort us and to motivate our lives. And it's his God's own presence with us. And what was the third thing that James mentioned? He mentioned heaven, and it's written down here. It's a real hope. The hope of a new heaven and a new earth. God's presence uh, forever. Eternal security and rest. No sin. Justice done. I just want us to think, if you're one of God's people, about his blessings. And are you enjoying them? Are you, have you moved forward into them, or are you wandering around the outside? Because for God's people... He's forgiven us our sins. He's removed the barrier between ourselves and him. He's given us his own Holy Spirit to help us and to guide us and to comfort us. He's given us a future, a real hope, a certain hope, a wonderful hope of being with him, with sin being removed and justice being done. God's done the giving, uh, but we've got to do the taking, as it were. We've got to enter into it, obeying him, committing our lives to him, trusting him. I suppose the challenge has to come on a morning like this. Are you one of God's people? Because this is a message for God's people. But I'm so glad that whoever you are, you've come. But are you one of God's people? Have you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus? Do you know that he died on the cross for you? Do you know that's the way in which the relationship between God and man was restored was because sin was dealt with by, by Jesus? Do you know forgiveness of your sin? Do you know the Holy Spirit within you? Do you have a hope, a real hope for the future? If you don't, please speak to one of us afterwards. But I'm, I'm going to move on as it were. But as I think of those people, those children of Israel, the... Uh, the possibility that they, they wandered and wandered and wandered. That they thought about the promised land, knew it was a place uh, full of challenge. But they wandered around with a sense of failure within. A sense of defeat, a, a sense of wasted years. Hobbling along, ineffective in some way. That might describe the children of Israel, but does it describe my Christian life? Does it describe your Christian life? You've never quite got into all that God has given us. I've got to mention a football stadium, but just can imagine you were down at the Amex yesterday and you had tickets, but you didn't go in. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine uh, going into a beautiful garden and you're just looking over the fence? Can you imagine going to an art gallery and you get to the steps, but you don't go in? Just think how much you're missing. And if you're one of God's people, uh, 
the challenges is to enter into all that God has for us. And one of the things I'm suggesting is just remember the blessings. Dwell on the blessings. Enjoy the blessings. Live as if the blessings, you know, have, have transformed your life. It's gone again. As we move on, we find that God doesn't just give commands, enter in. Uh, but he also gives promise. After promise, after promise. They're not necessarily new promises, because I know you're going to read Deuteronomy 32 to 36, and you'll find some of those promises there as well. But it's promise after promise. Verse, verse 5 says this, No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. This is a promise as they go into the promised land, that they're going to have victory over their enemies. There's going to be a favorable outcome. They're going to triumph. They're going to overcome. They're going to have success. 40 years of wandering is now over. That uh, murmuring and that grumbling, that failure to obey God's commands, that failure to trust God. The previous generation has, has, has died out, and now they're on a, a path of victory, as it were. And despite their failure, he's saying to these people, press in, and you're going to be su successful. And then in verse 5, there's another one, I will be with you. Promise not only a victory over their enemy, but the presence of God. He's going to be beside them as they move forward. And it's repeated again in that very famous verse, again, which Matt quoted, verse 9, which we'll come to in a minute, that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Not that he will be with you in the future, but he's with you now. And he'll be with you into the future as well. Joshua might have felt all alone now that Moses had died. He might have felt the fact that, uh, how is he going to manage? But the promise comes that God's going to be with him. In the joys and sorrows of leadership, in the valleys and the vistas of leadership, in the victories and in the setbacks, he was going to be with them. And then a third promise. If, you, if you've got your Bible open, verses 5 and 6, I'll never leave you. Uh, nor forsake you. Promise of a God being faithful. He's going to do it again and again. There's going to be no abandoning, no deserting, no forsaking them. He's reinforcing his previous promise of being with them by this promise of protection as he went forward. You know, as you open your Bible, you'll find more than 7,000 promises God makes to man uh, to different people. Some of them are for those people specifically. Some are for mankind generally. But God is a promise-giving God. He promises again and again. Do you know your Bibles? Adam, he gave promises to Adam. Promises to Noah, the next major child. Promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Joseph and to Jacob and to Moses and to the judges and to the kings and to the prophets and to the early Christians. It's promise after promise after promise because that's what God is. He promises and it's good to know those 7,500 promises, but it's even better to know the God who makes the promises because he's the one whose word is behind it. He's the one with the ability to act behind it. He's the reliable, faithful God. I discovered fairly recently this, this phrase which I found really, really helpful myself. Uh, it's a, it's a, a commentator uh, in, in the States who actually died uh, about a year ago he says, you know, like, we as God's people, 
We don't live on explanations, but we live on God's promises. And that's true, isn't it? If you think about how the world was created, I don't understand it. But God says he did it. And so that, in a sense, that's good enough for me. I don't need to understand the full explanation. I just need to know that he said he did it. As I think about why Israel was chosen as God's people, they were small, they hadn't achieved much. They were a pretty miserable lot. They failed so often. Why? I don't know. I don't have the explanation. But God said he, he did it, and he chose them. And that's good enough for me. And when I think about Jesus dying on the cross, and I try to explain why does that get rid of my sin, I don't understand it fully. But God says he will forgive sin as a result of that, and so he promises that he will. And that's enough for me. You see, if I, if I fully understood the answer to these things, maybe I would never trust God. I would just trust the explanation of God. Or maybe my brain isn't big enough to understand the real explanation. Maybe that's why there's no full explanation. God asks us to live on his promises, not on explanations. And it's interesting, you know, the very three sets of promises I've mentioned just a moment ago, those they are repeated again in the Bible so that they're not just for the children of Israel. They're for Christians and for us today in Hayward's Heath. As we live day by day, the ability for us to, to live victoriously, victorious Christian living is what it's called. One, one writer wrote this, everyone who's born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's this, this promise, as it were, that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will be, enable us to live those overcoming lives, those victorious lives, uh, whatever the world uh, throws at us. And here's an interesting one, another verse I've written down here, which we've already quoted. When we look at death, and we think of the uncertainty of it, and we think of how can we possibly uh, live positively and successfully with that in, in, in mind. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said this, Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What I discover is that by being a follower of the Lord Jesus and claiming his promise that he'll help me live victoriously in, in many different situations, and I've watched uh, many people approach death in that sense of the certainty that God is with them, that he'll see them through. But only also not just that promise of victorious Christian living, but promise of God's presence. That we as God's people aren't left on our own. We're not asked to go it alone as Christians in Hayward's Heath. But again, in a in a verse which has already been quoted, the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And what does he say? And I'm with you. Always. To the very end of the age. And the writer of the Hebrews says, uh, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, we've had it quoted already in prayer. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what anyone can do to me. Promise. 
after promise after promise. Do we know the God's promises? Do we know the God who does the promising? Do we live by the promises that he has for us? That we're not alone. As we go out this afternoon and we have, no matter what we've got to face, or if we think about what's facing us tomorrow morning, the promise to God's people is that he is with us. He'll not abandon us. He'll not make us go alone. And then that third promise, again, is repeated in, in that book of Hebrews we read. God's faithfulness, not just his, the victory that he gives, not just his presence, but his faithfulness. That he doesn't let us down. Jesus Christ is described as the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging. He can't be depended upon. The Lord is faithful, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He'll establish you and guard you against the evil one. What do we do with the promises of God? I'm suggesting we trust every promise that he's given. That we live by them. So that when life's going really, really well, we still put our trust in his promises. When life's not so easy. When we're in the lows of life. When we feel the world, as it were, against us. We put our trust in the promises of God. Sometimes we lean upon them. Sometimes we have to grab hold of them. Sometimes we're just clinging on. But that's okay. That's still trust. That's trusting God's promises. You know, many of us are parents. And we know that our children uh, are living on our promises. There's explicit things we say. And there's implicit things that we say. But in most situations, they know they've got a home. They know there's going to be food on the table. They know that they'll get some sort of schooling. They know that they'll generally be safe and secure and loved and life is to be enjoyed. We don't give them the full explanation as to how we manage to juggle all these things. Not when they're young anyway, at least. We just ask them to live trusting us as parents because we promise we're going to look after them. They don't need all the explanations. We probably couldn't explain it in language they wouldn't understand. But we sort of ask our children, trust us as parents, just trust us. We've got the very best that we can give to you. And even when they get older, you know when the text comes in or the call comes in at a strange time, you know they want something. <laughs> they want some sort of help or they want some advice. Or they want a lift in the car or they want some money. But but hey, generally speaking, we want to be there for them. They bear our name and so we, we want the very best for them. We want them to be, to be fulfilled and succeed and be happy and all those general things. But my example is, is that they live on our promises without the explanations. And that's what God asks us to do. Well, just uh, in the last uh, short bit... The other thing that he asks us to do is to, Joshua was asked to do, was to put into practice all of God's word. This is what uh, we read. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do 
according to what's written in it. For then will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Can you imagine Joshua and the people only had the first five books of the Bible? And that's what they had to do. They had to read it. They had to do it. Uh, they had to meditate upon it. It was the book of the law that was given to Moses. But just think of all the things that are repeated. God tells Joshua, take care. Don't be casual about it. Don't be flippant with it. Don't come to it in an unconcerned way. Don't come in in a regular way or a random way. It matters. So be careful what you do about this book. And then do it. Don't just hear it. Don't just read it. But put it into practice. Observe it. Keep what it says. And then both of them also mentioned, do all of it. Not just a little bit of it. Not just the easy bits. Not just the convenient bits. Not just the bits you agree with at the moment. But all of it. Verses 7 and 8 repeat all these points. And then the third thing it says, it's, it's for your success. It's to make you prosper. It's so that you can go well. It's important. It's for life. You see, there's no success without doing what God's word says. I've talked about Christian, victorious Christian living. I've talked about uh, all these promises of God. But it all has to be lined up with God's word. It's all got to be put into practice. Remember how it was expanded? Don't turn away from the right or the left. Don't be deviated from what the, God's word says. Go straight ahead. Be guided by it. Don't go your own way. Go God's way. He's saying, don't let it depart from your mouth. What does that mean? Is it because they read aloud? And I think they did. Is it to be part of their everyday conversation? I think it probably was. Were they meant to be teaching others about it? It's a bit of all of those things. But it needs to be in your mouth. You need to know it, as it were, for it to be on your mouth. And then meditate on it day and night. What? Meditating God's word day and night, all the time. Not this transcendental meditation, but thinking and chewing over and pondering and considering God's word. We've done that with the previous verse, haven't we? Uh, not letting it depart from our mouth. We've, in our minds, we've thought, what could be the possible meaning of that? Is it, uh, is it reading aloud? Possible? Is it, uh, is it being part of our everyday conversation? Weighing out? Is it because we're meant to be teaching others the Bible? Just by thinking about what that phrase means, we've begun to meditate on God's word. But not just for it to be an academic exercise, so that we apply it to our lives. These are all things that uh, Joshua has to do, and I've already gone into application, as it were, because it seems obvious that's what we should be doing too. Well, we have 66 books, uh, not just the law of Moses as our Bibles. It's God's word, his message, his communication to us. It's things he wants us to know. And we've got it in written form. Have you got a high view of God's word? A really high view? Do you just hear it on a Sunday morning? Read it a bit in the week? But not put it into practice? Have you thought about how it might impact how you think? What you might say and how you might treat people around about you? 
How important is it really? This is God's word. He created the world. He sustains the world. He's provided a savior in Jesus. He's one day going to judge the living and the dead. It's him speaking. Are we going to take it seriously? Are we going to take God's word as the ultimate authority? That what he says goes. Doesn't matter what people think. Doesn't matter what society thinks. Are we going to go back to God's word? Even when it's difficult to do. And difficult to understand. And difficult to accept some of the concepts. And you want me to treat someone like that who's treated me like this? Are we prepared to take God's word and make it our ultimate authority, I wonder? Are we prepared to meditate on it, ponder over it, pray about it, consider it carefully, get joy from it, get comfort from it, churn it over in our minds? It's why it's good to learn scripture, because then you don't need to get your phone out or a book out as you... <coughs> Think about it. Pray it through. I was thinking about food. You know, meals aren't just something that you do three times a day. It's, it's more than that. You, uh, you take in the aroma. You enjoy the taste on your tongue. You, you chew it over. You digest it. It's, uh, you enjoy eating with others. It's fuel for, for your life. It's not just something that happens at what, 8 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and 6 o'clock. And so God's word is to be enjoyed, spent time on. The psalmist wrote this, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree, planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf doesn't wither, whatever they do. As we find our Bibles, we find people who spend time in God's word. God says your life will prosper if you do it. It's good, isn't it, to take an inventory of how we spend our time. Yes, there's work to be done and there's family to look after and our homes to look after. But what do we spend our time on? It was certainly a waste of 90 minutes yesterday evening <laughs> for some but seriously I think it's just we should take an inventory of what we spend our time on whether we spend time in God's word not just academically but because we're going to put it into practice the best illustrations are Bible illustrations and James has this illustration which I'm sure you've heard before but it's worth repeating I read it myself this morning he says don't just listen to what the Bible says but do it. It's like someone who goes and looks at a mirror and looks intently at it. And you can see from this morning, I haven't spent much time in front of the mirror. But he says, if you spend your time in front of the mirror looking intently and then forget and don't do anything about what you see in front of you, you've missed the whole point of why you have a mirror at all. He says in the same way, take God's word. And uh, it's a word which gives liberty. And it's uh, a word you need to persevere in. And it's a word you need to do and not just hear. Well, the last, the last one, very quickly, is, is a little phrase which has been coming up again and again. Did you count how many times it's in this passage? It's there four times. 
And it's interesting, it's there three times as God uh, speaks to Joshua. And then right at the end of the chapter, the people say it back to Joshua. Obviously, there's a reason for repetition. Being strong and courageous. Not just saying, steal yourselves, it's going to be ready. But there's some substance behind why you should be strong and courageous. Because of all the things that we've mentioned already. Why is the command needed? Well, the promised land was going to be full of obstacles. And it was going to be full of battles and hardship and opposition. And no doubt they were fearful and apprehensive. No doubt Joshua was thinking, can I lead these people? Shall I give up? I guess that might have come into his mind. But each time this be strong and courageous, uh, it, it comes with a, just a little different emphasis. The first one comes with an emphasis is that uh, you will, uh, victory will be assured, so be strong and courageous. The next time it comes, it says be strong and very courageous. And ensure you keep God's law. Because obeying Lord, God's word is, is essential. We've just talked about that. And the third time it comes with an additional promise. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Because God's promise, presence makes all the difference. They need courage for the journey and what lies ahead. They need courage to keep God's law. Because sometimes it's not easy keeping God's word. And they need courage to conquer their fears. I've already talked to some of you already, and as we face this week, uh, some of us will have tremendous health problems. The news might not be good. There may be an operation ahead. There may be pain to be born. But I think the message is be strong and courageous because God is with you. You know, some of us have work tomorrow, and some of us have too much. And some of us have no work at all for tomorrow and really want it. And some of us have difficult things to challenge and people to challenge uh, in this week ahead. Whatever our work might be, paid or unpaid. And I think the message is, be strong and courageous. Uh, God is with you. As we look at our families and we look at, think of relationship problems. And we think of uh, heartaches that might be there. And we think of, of challenges that need to be overcome. I think the message is be strong and courageous because God uh, is with us. If we feel we've been cheated in some way or let down in some way or we've messed up in some way, I think the message is still the same. Be strong and courageous just as it was to Joshua, just as it was to the people because God is with you. Whatever we've got to face in life. Verse, chapter 1, verse 9. If there's one thing you take away, take away this very famous verse. Verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord your God be, will be with you wherever you go. I know we're taking the story of Joshua, but we're applying it to everyday Christian living. And uh, it's, it's whether we can... Enter into all the good of what God's promised. It's whether we can trust every promise he's given. It's, it's whether we're going to put into practice everything that he says. Oh, and it's whether we're going to be strong and courageous in doing the first three. Just very quickly, what happened next? Joshua got them ready and he got them ready to move forward. 
He got them ready to move forward in three days. It was three days we were going to get started. And he got them united in purpose because there's two and a half tribes. They could have stayed where they were because they had already been given their land. They could have stayed that side of the Jordan and not bothered at all. But he says, no, no, no. You've got to be united with your brothers and sisters. You've got to be not selfish in, in, in just thinking that you've got nothing else to do. You've got to join us and come with us. You've got to take responsibility. You've got to think of others. You've got to go out of your way. You've got to show unity. And what do the people say? Yeah, we're up for it. We're going to go for it. We're ready to move forward with you as leader. We'll do what you command. We'll go where you send. We'll obey uh, what you say. We're praying that God will be with you. And then that very interesting thing. They repeat back to Joshua what God has been saying to Joshua already. Be strong and courageous. And I was just thinking as we have you, you put new deacons together, I wonder whether we are praying for our new deacons and praying that God would be with them and encouraging them to be strong and courageous in whatever God gives them to do. You know, leaders and deacons, they need encouragement too. They need to be prayed for. They need to be got alongside and encouraged to be strong and courageous. And so as we think of Joshua, and we think as you go into this, this great book, it's a massive encouragement. It's a massive encouragement. Just to take hold of all that God's got. The blessings, the promises, his word, his presence. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Um, don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you uh, wherever you go. Joshua was claiming that for himself. And I think that's something we can all, as God's people, can claim. That God is with us wherever we go. Thank you. Thank you. I'm conscious of